Welcome to the Fit Mind Project. My name's Barry Ash, and along with my wife Laura Ash, we are the founders of Rock Solid Health and the Freedom Programs. We believe that everybody should have access to a simple and supportive way to transform their health and their well-being, both physically and mentally, so we can feel better than we currently do. Our aim is to bring together a community of like-minded people who want to transform their habits and their behaviours using the rock solid method so they can take ownership of their health and their well-being. With this podcast, we're going to be having conversations with some amazing people that will help and inspire you to take back control of your lives. As we believe, when we are healthier, we are happier. In this episode, we're talking about how to be the leader in your own life. Most of us want to be in control of our lives, to be confident in our body and our actions as well. But life gets in the way. I know that used to be me. And some days, it still is. Everything's going amazing. And then wham, I trip over, I fall over. And it seems to take forever for me to get back onto my feet. Today, we're having a conversation with Cole Mahay, the founder of the fastest growing personal leadership event in the UK, Ignite Your Inner Potential. Cool's going to help us understand why we struggle to find the leader within us. We're also going to ask that question, are we scared of the responsibility of being our own leader? Also, what does emotional intelligence have to do with it all? And finally, we're going to look at what is a mind habits and how can we change them? So let's head over to the conversation. everybody I hope that you are well and that you're having a good day thank you Alexa for um you know also (laughs) being excited about joining us this morning (laughs) so guys welcome to today we are so excited today because we've got someone really really special to talk to you today um so I'm gonna get straight on with it and today we're going to be talking about leadership and being a leader in your own life because a lot of us sometimes feel that we're not from pillar to post a lot of the time Mm -hmm. and you know I think being able to step up take charge in your life is something that we all need a little bit of so that we're not trampled over as well and so we've got someone very special to come and talk to you today so guys today we have cool Mahay coming to talk to us and I'll give you a very brief intro before we then get him to go into his story because his story is amazing so just for you guys cool spent 32 years um, in the police force and two-thirds of that he spent at leadership level and since leaving the force he's worked with police with universities with fire brigades and with the oil industry globally okay guys and he's used his knowledge and expertise of emotional intelligence to be able to teach leadership Cool is the founder of Ignite Your Inner Potential, which is one of the fastest personal leadership events. And I know, Cool, that you pick speakers from that event to come and kind of share their experiences as well. Um, but also, Cool is an author and he's got a book out called Smash the Habit. And that book, he actually draws on his own experiences of overcoming long held habits that he had by using something 
called, um, well, I just want to make sure I get this right, Mind Habits. And we, I definitely want to know more about that later. He's a coach and he speaks and trains in the art of leadership. So guys, I think you can agree that we've got somebody very qualified and very experienced to come and talk to you guys about this today. So cool. Welcome. It's lovely to see you. It's great to be here, guys. It really is great to be here. I love talking to you guys. I, you know, we go several months without talking, but it always feels every time we pick the phone up like we've only just spoken yesterday. That's a, I would say that's a test of a good relationship and good friendship, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. 100%. I totally agree with you there. That is a really good sign. Um, so, cool. I'm going to literally open up the floor and just tell us your story. We always start with this because I love hearing people's backgrounds and stories. So tell us your story about how you've come to be sat here talking to us about all of this. Well, where do I start? I mean, I guess I start when I was 10 years old, really. Uh, and at the age of 10, I was born and bred in a city called Wolverhampton, uh, which, by the way, is one of the most depressing places that you can go to nowadays. My parents still live down there and my, my brothers and sisters. Um, but I remember it as being this vibrant city, uh, full of colour and uh, full of sort of adventure. You know, I was the kind of guy... Uh, that uh, used to play, you know, six weeks holidays would be making dens in the park under the bushes. And, you know, me and my brothers were always dreaming of building a rocket. So we'd get as many uh, matchstick heads as we possibly could do and getting toilet roll and covering it in foil and nearly killing ourselves, uh, exploding things left, right and centre. It was that kind of a childhood. But it was also a very Asian childhood. You know, my dad was a very old-fashioned Asian kind of dude. Now, if you've ever seen the film East is East, that was my dad, right? That was him. And I remember every Saturday, every Sunday morning, he'd sit us all down, all seven of us. You know, I'm one of seven. I'm the middle one of seven. So I've also got middle child syndrome as well, which is a, a terrible affliction, I might say. And uh, I remember my dad used to say, I want you to be a doctor or a dentist, or a lawyer, and that was it. Those were like the three jobs, you know, in Asian society. You could be a doctor, if you couldn't manage a doctor, you could at least be a dentist. If you couldn't manage either of those, you couldn't. You weren't very scientifically minded, at least become a blooming lawyer. And I remember all my brothers and sisters used to be nodding their heads, and as it turned out, my eldest brother is a doctor. He's got his own practice, had his own practice for 30 odd years, but he's also a solicitor and he's got his own practice in as a solicitor as part of, as, as well as being a business entrepreneur. So he took it to the next level, but he was always a favorite anyway, right? Uh, my, my other doc brother's a doctor. My sisters have become nurses and teachers. But I remember I used to sit there and with a very heavy heart and I used to be always petrified of saying what my dream was. And I think this was the biggest lesson I learned that, you know, your dreams and your aspirations, whatever you hold close, are very important. And if you don't chase those dreams, you will always leave, live an unfulfilled life. You'll always have this gap inside you that you think, I wish, I wish, I wish, I wish. And of course, as you get older, it becomes harder and harder to fill that gap. So I remember sitting there many a time thinking, I, I daren't say anything, I, I, you know, scared of my dad he never hit me uh he hit my brothers and sisters i think i was a bit of a favorite uh but my dad used to uh sort of look at this hockey stick that he had this hockey stick that used to lie in the corner of the room you know it was propped up in the corner now back in the day you know 
Indians uh, used to love hockey because they were good at it. They're not so good at it nowadays, but uh, every Indian had a hockey stick in their house. I don't know why. My dad couldn't play hockey. I don't think he knew which way to hold the hockey stick, but all he ever, ever had to do was look at the hockey stick which is covered in dust because he never used it. Uh, and we would be frightened because we thought he was going to hit us with it. So I had this dream that I wanted to be a police officer. I used to read all the police books, you know, Juliet Bravo. I used to watch Zed Cars and anything to do with policing, I was there. I made friends with the local police officers. I used to go on a regular basis to my local police station just down the road at uh, Dunstall Park Road Police Station. I remember it very clearly. It was a, just made out of old cabins. And uh, I used to go in there and say, can I have a pamphlet, please? Can I have a pamphlet on police dogs, police cars, police women? Whatever it might be, I wanted a pamphlet on something to do with the police. And they ran out. They literally ran out of, of pamphlets for me. I went on patrol. You know, I was on first name terms with a lot of cops back then. I used to, every Saturday morning, we lived just around the corner from Molyneux Stadium, the football stadium. I used to sit on the corner, on, on this little wall on the corner of the street, and I used to watch all these like hundreds and thousands of people going towards the, crowd, uh, the uh, ground. But all I looked at was were the police officers in their tunics back in the day. And everything that that uniform stood for, you know, safety, security, responsibility, authority, everything that it stood for, yeah. I wanted to be that. So that was a, like a massive realization for me. And you know, it took me like four years. It wasn't until about the age of about 14 that I finally mustered up the courage to say to my dad, Dad, I don't want to be a doctor or a dentist or a lawyer. I really don't. I want to be a police officer. And I was expecting him to explode. But actually, my dad surprised me. He said, son, he said, why have you held this dream back for so long? If that's what you want to do, that's what you will do. And I was like, wow, where's my East is East dad gone now? Yeah. And suddenly he was like this modern, forward-thinking kind of guy. And, you know, my dad became my biggest supporter in joining the police service. And back in that day, you know, in, the, in those times, you could become a, a police cadet, a full-time police cadet from the age of 16. And, uh, wow. Yeah, it was a very well-paid job as well. You know, I was on £50 a month. <laughs> and <laughs> always overdrawn in the bank because uh, as police cadets, you're living away from home and, you know, you, you're introduced to beer when you're, you know, it's illegal to have beer. But we'd, <laughs> we'd pretend that we were 18 and go down to the pubs. And I'm sure the pubs knew that we were police cadets, but they served us anyway. It was that kind of thing. But I remember, you know, there's 43 police forces in England and Wales, and I applied to pretty much every single police force. And then I even applied to police forces in Scotland. Uh, in those days, I think there's about seven or eight police forces in Scotland. There's only one now. And uh, I just kept applying, 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 and I got 26 rejections. But my passion was so strong that I was not going to give up. I wasn't going to give up until I got to the very last police force I could, I could ever apply for. And eventually, I got through. I got this letter from Derbyshire Constabulary saying, you know, we're pleased to inform you. And um, I was like, this is amazing. This is the start of my new journey. And I, my dad took me up and to headquarters in North Derbyshire and dropped me off and then wheel spanned the car back home because he was like, this is alien environment. You know, everyone's white here. Uh, <laughs> there's too much greenery going on. There's too many cows. You know, it was one of those kind of things. So, so that was my introduction to the police service. And, one thing I did realize about the police service was that uh, it, um, 
it wasn't quite what I thought it was going to be in many ways. You know, I, I wasn't expecting the kind of racism that I came across. You know, I was a, literally a brown speck in a sea of white. I didn't expect, I sort of expected racism from the public to a large extent. You know, I joined just before the minor strike. So you can imagine yeah. uh, what kind of communities I was involved in. And, but I didn't expect it from within the service, you know, but I did. We had, you know, during the minor strike, I remember we had hundreds of, well, we had several police forces from around the country, hundreds and hundreds of different cops from different areas of the country coming to our headquarters, sleeping in our gym overnight and uh, going out every morning. And it was quite an aggressive environment. And they didn't care how they spoke, particularly from those from who came up from London, didn't really care how they spoke. And they saw it as a bit of a jolly. And I remember the abuse that uh, I faced from, you know, individuals within there. And that was my first shocking awakening, if you like, to what racism, the, 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 the brutality of racism, racism can look like. Because I remember the impact they had on me, yeah. I, you know, my self-worth and, you know, feeling that I was under threat in, in what, what should be a safe environment, the police service. And I saw how women were treated. Uh, and, and I, you know, dread to think, if anybody was gay, if they'd have ever come out and how they would have been treated because some of the homophobic comments that were around in those days were just horrific compared to today's standard. So that was my rude awakening to the police service. But I'll tell you what, you know, I, I've learned in life that there are three types of people when it comes to challenge. There are those that give up and go home. Well, I believe that your passion still isn't strong enough. You need, you need to work on your passion because passion gives you resilience and allows you to move forward with any challenges because life is full of challenges whatever you think life is not all uh, you know uh, roses it's it will present challenges and you need to have enough enough resilience to carry you through in those times the second type of person is the type of person who kicks back and fights back but whenever you have a fight people are going to get scarred and injured and they are never the same again so the third type of person is the person who has the passion, has the resilience, is able to work their way through, but also wants to change the environment for future generations. And that was me. And I made a, a promise to myself that I would work so hard to be better than my colleagues. I would be the best thief catcher. I would be the, the, the most professional. I'd be the most smartest person out there. And that's sort of how I led my life. You know, uh, when I became a constable, I spent seven years in this uh, one police station in the south of Derbyshire. And literally, I was, when I went to that police station, I was front page news. I was front page news, first black and Asian police officer in Swaddling Coat. I remember Edwina Curry, MP, used to be the local MP. She sent me a letter welcoming me to Swaddling Coat. So, I mean, how, yeah. how you would feel to be separated like that from everybody yeah. else. And I, made, I, I, I just remember my promise to myself. And you know what? In those seven years, I became the best community Bobby. I became the best thief catcher. I became the, 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 the smartest cop. I became the pleasantest cop. I became the nicest person. I became as professional as I could be because that was a commitment I made to myself. And the interesting thing is, you know, just about eight or nine weeks ago, I was just going on Facebook and I'm, uh, I'm still connected to a, a local Facebook page for that area. And the local newspaper was uh, putting up old photos. 
And suddenly I saw this old, and I got tagged into this old photo. And it was a photo, it was the photo of me on uh, my first day at this police station when they were announcing that front page news first black officer. And it says PC Culmer Hay back in 1985. And then I looked at the comments and there were comments from members of the public who, and they were saying things like, I remember this guy. He was fantastic. What a lovely guy this guy was. Yeah, I remember I remember talking to him about A, B, and C. And the, all of these members of the public were writing all these lovely things, and they remembered me. And therein lies my second lesson. My second lesson is that when you build powerful relationships, when you are authentic and nice, and you know how to connect with people at a very genuine and authentic level, people you leave an indelible print of yourself onto that person. Yeah. In forensics, uh, there is a philosophy called, um, I'm trying to think and it'll come to me, but there is a philosophy that when one thing touches another thing, there's something called transference. You leave a bit of yourself on that other person. So in, in, in forensics, we would be, uh, you know, if, if, if I rubbed up a, a, against, brushed against somebody, there would be fibers of yeah. my shirt left on that person. Well, life is just the same. Every time you connect with someone, you indelibly leave a print of yourself on that person. That's your transference. Forensically speaking, that's your transference. Yeah. And this was a really powerful lesson for me. And I guess it's that lesson that has then taught me to, to really embrace emotional intelligence. And we'll come on to that in a short while. So my journey in the police service started like this. And about, seven, uh, about 10 years later, you know, I'd been a third through my service and somebody said to me, you really need to become a, a leader. And I reluctantly went for my sergeant's exams, national sergeant's exams. I got through them and then I get, uh, somebody kept pushing me, a good friend of mine kept pushing me to go for the boards and I got through. And I started really enjoying this whole idea of being a leader because I realized that it was at leadership level that I was going to change this culture of racism, sexism, everything ism to create a beautiful you know, culture in our environment where we truly connected with people, where we worked solidly for the public, with the public. And I've kept that, kept that philosophy going throughout my 32 years in the police service and it served me well. And now what I do is I work with all sorts of organizations. Uh, you know, during lockdown, I'm working with a couple of universities, got some contracts to train the whole of their staff around emotional intelligence, around diversity. So that's pretty much what I'm doing right now. I'm working with police forces, universities, uh, NHS have just re reached out to me yesterday. Uh, I'm also, you know, uh, in negotiations with a few TV channels around maybe some documentaries and uh, all sorts of exciting things. And the more exciting things you do, the more exciting things come your way. And I don't, you know, the one thing I would say is I never reach out to get clients. The clients come to me through other referrals or they've heard of me somewhere along the line. It's brilliant. I love it. What an amazing story. I absolutely love it. I've got one question I want to start with, though, Cole. We talk about leadership. What is your definition of being a really good or just being a leader? Because we've got all these images of like a leader, we're going to, get this army of people to follow us into, into harm's way or to make a difference in the world. But what is a true leader? That's such a good question, Buzz. Uh, because, you know, I get really, really hung up on this. It, it sort of irritates me. So if you Google the word leadership, you're going to come up with something like 4.1 billion results. 4.1 billion results. Oh, 
in 0.67 seconds. That's the amount of results that will come up, right? Which tells me one thing. We're living in a world of nearly 8 billion people. And if 4.1 billion results are going to come up in less than a second, it tells you that a vast majority of the world are interested in the concept of leadership. Yeah. So you'd think that people know what leadership is, wouldn't you? Yeah. But yeah, if, when you Google the word leadership and ask for the def definition, the dictionary definition that you get of the word leadership is the act of leading people or leading an organization. And I think that's just a poor definition yeah. because if you have to use the word leading to describe the word leadership, it means that you don't actually understand it because people then need to understand what leading is. So in being a nonconformist, I created my own definition. And this is, what I <laughs> this is what I believe leadership is. I believe that leadership is every time, if you are ever in a position that you're influencing people or you're influencing situations or circumstances, then you're a leader. Now, if we look at the word of leadership, then we can start um, aligning it to those people who traditionally are in roles of leadership, uh, i.e., you know, being the boss in a country, the, uh, you know, in an organization, in a country, and, you know, you're being the manager. Or if you are influencing people and influencing situations, even in your private life, if you're a parent, if you are you guys, you know, people are looking to you guys for some kind of guidance, well, you're leader. That, that's a leadership position. And with leadership comes responsibility. You know, I always say, there's an old saying, isn't there? Uh, with great authority comes great responsibility. Yeah. And I think that's the gap that most leaders miss out on. Yeah. I believe in servant leadership. And that is basically getting into your head as a leader that I am here to serve the people who work for me or the people that follow me. I'm not here to control the people that follow me. It's a very subtle difference in mindset. When you understand that you're serving other people, then you become a much more authentic leader as a consequence of that. But I've seen so many people who have been great people, great human beings, and as they go up through the levels and they get more and more scrambled egg or crowns on their, on their elbows, they suddenly start changing. They start changing into these authoritarian, you know, monsters. And I'm thinking, well, why that's not the human being that I know. And even on a, you know, behind closed doors on a one-to-one, -one, you're a great person, you're a great guy. But why is it when you're outside of your office, you have to behave like this? That's not authentic. So for me, you know, in emotional intelligence, there's six different styles of leadership that we talk about. We talk about this two different forms. There's resonant leadership, which is about pulling people towards you. And there's dissonant leadership, which is about pushing people either away from you or towards a direction. And now they're both relevant, they're both important. Like for example, in the dissonant leadership, uh, you could be a coercive leader. A coercive leader says, do as I tell you to do because of who I am, because of the position that I hold. Or the pace setting leader, which is follow me, I'm gonna run 100 miles an hour, just keep following me uh, at 100 miles. Now there are times and places where that needs to be done. And I have been those leaders, you know, in the middle of riots. I, I remember in 2001, I was in the middle of riots in Bradford. We had 2,000 screaming people trying to attack us when I was in a, a line of 30 people with shields uh, trying to protect the fire service who were putting out the fire to a BMW garage at the time. And there is no time then to put your hand around people's shoulders. There's, that is a time of action. So Coercive leaders, pace-setting leadership is very, very important. But some people get stuck in that, a bit like a record, they get stuck in that 
that role, that style of leadership. But yeah. the other styles of leadership, there are four resonant styles of leadership. You know, you could be um, <clears throat> you could be coaching leader where you get other people to think deeper about the about the solutions to the questions that they're posing you could be the affiliative leader who puts their people first you could be the democratic leader who seeks the advice and the counsel of others before arriving at a decision uh, and you could be the i'm trying to think what the fourth one is now <laughs> <laughs> completely slipped my mind it's always like that one isn't it <laughs> it's always it always happens, and I do this stuff every single day, right? Same as us. <laughs> I'm human. This just proves that I am human. I'm a human being, right? Absolutely. But these resonant styles of leadership are all about pulling people towards you. They're all about getting the best out of the people and putting those people not necessarily at the front because sometimes you have to put the task up front. But it's about pulling people with you. Oh, the fourth one was uh, it's called authoritarian leadership but i prefer to call visionary leadership it's the most powerful that's the the leader that says we're going heading towards that direction you're all coming with me and i trust you to do your individual specialist task because i know that you're good at that and i'm just going to set the, 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 the set the direction that's the one style of leadership that every leader should have turned on all the time yeah. that one style should be turned on all the time and then a circumstance dictate you can flick uh, uh, flicking on and off the other leadership styles. That's called fluidity of leadership for me. Uh, and that's where I practice, that's where I teach, that's what I'm passionate about. Uh, emotional intelligence for me is critical. If you want to succeed in life, emotional intelligence is absolutely critical. And we can talk about that. Till we yeah, I mean... I, I love the word fluidity, especially when you when it comes to being a leader, because we use that when we come to health and well-being. Some people are so hard and fast, this is the way we need to yeah. do it. Diet, this is the way. Exercise, this, no. We need to ebb, we need to flow. We need to, when we get obstacles and barriers coming in front of us, we need to stop and we can go around them, up and over. I think that's so true when it comes to leadership. Yeah, it's well. so right, as You know, for me, um, you, you know that old saying, where there's a will, there's a way? Yeah. yeah. I absolutely believe that. If your will is strong enough, if your desire and your hunger is strong enough, there is always a way. Yeah. But sometimes we get stuck in this, well, I can't be like that person, therefore I can't do that. Well, of course you can do that. You just do it in a different way. Yeah. And if ever there was a time to talk about fluidity, it's right now. Yeah. The adaptability. Now, there's a lot of people who I know are very sadly struggling, uh, struggling for a whole host of reasons, struggling because they're lonely right now in lockdown, struggling because they've been poorly, struggling because they may have, may have lost people. And that's all very, very sad. But it's also important to understand that circumstances don't define who you are. It's how you respond to the circumstances. They're the, they're, that's the defining factor as to who you are. And there are also people struggling, you know, in my business, you know, that, that of coaching and training and consultancy. I know there's a lot of people struggling in that business. I know there's a lot of retailers struggling. So there's a lot of people going through a lot of pain right now. But I wonder, I just wonder, and I don't want to sound harsh or anything like that, but I do wonder how many of people, those people didn't need to struggle if they had just chosen to be adaptable from the very outset. Yes. If yeah. they're just sh shifted their mindset by one degree, and they can still do that. 
They can still shift their mindset by just one degree and start doing it in a different way. Don't do things that you've always done in the way that you've always done in an environment that's completely changed. We're living in something called the VUCA world. It's volatile, it's uncertain, it's complex, and it's ambiguous. This was a term that was brought about in the 1980s to describe how the world is changing, but the world is changing at an accelerated pace. In three months, our whole world has been turned upside down. And, and guys, the truth of it is, it's going to happen more and more yet. You know, this pandemic is just the first of many. It's proven that a pandemic can shut the world down. So we need to now start shifting our mindset and, and becoming much more aware. How do, how do I be safer? How can I deliver my business in a safer way? How can I connect with people in a much safer way? We need to be thinking that kind of stuff through. And if we sit here just trying to wait out the coronavirus for three months and say, hey, you know what? Things are going to go back to normal. I'll open my shop up again or I'll start coaching my clients again. I'll start doing that. It's not going to happen. You have to understand that the world has changed and it will continue to change. That's not a bad thing. We need to embrace that change and we need to ask ourselves that question. What can I do differently? So for me, for example... It's, it's like Darwin's evolution, isn't it? Darwin's theory of evolution. It's not the strongest or the fastest or the brainiest to survive. It's the most adaptable to change. Absolutely. I think this is where human beings... Evolution. And I love that comment, uh, that, that quote from Charles Darwin. I have been quoting that over and over and over again. I've been trying to tell people, you've got to listen to what Charles Darwin is saying because it makes absolute sense. It doesn't matter how many degrees you've got. It doesn't matter how clever, highfalutin you are. Look at the politicians. Most of our politicians uh, went to Eden, you know, and they are so highly qualified, it beggars belief. And look how they've struggled with coronavirus, with making the right decisions. Uh, look at the, the people who go to the gyms and they've got muscles on their muscles on their muscles. And they are struggling just like we are. So it really doesn't matter about strength. There comes a point in time where strength doesn't matter, intellect doesn't matter, but emotional intelligence, emotional intelligence, if you look at the four quadrants of emotional intelligence, one of those is about, well, the four quadrants are self-awareness, self-management, organizational, community, or social awareness, and then relationship building. Those are the four quadrants. If you work through those four quadrants, you'll become very, very fluid in a very ch fast changing world to continue to build powerful relationships. And what I did, for example, in the first week, I thought to myself, my world's changed. I'm gonna start, you know, I was delivering lots of courses. I had lots of courses booked in. I, I had my own courses booked in as well because I teach public speaking. I had public speaking courses booked in. I was going to run my first ever public speaking course for a hundred children. Uh, I had that booked in. Uh, I had uh, a leadership retreat, my first ever leadership retreat booked for the south of France in this, in the biggest Buddhist monastery in Europe. I was so excited about that. It was all paid for. And that was all booked in. I thought, my world's changed. I need to quickly change now. I need to adapt. So the first thing I did was I need to sort out my home equipment. I know that I'm going to be online. So I've got business broadband. I've got lighting, you know, proper lighting around my desk. Uh, I got a bigger screen. I I got a new webcam that's ultra HD. I got a new mic and I did all sorts of things that need to be done, the infrastructure, but then I had to change this as well. I had to sort out my mind. I had to look at my business and say, how do I now operate my business in this changed environment? I reached out to all of my clients. I canceled all the things that I needed to cancel. And I reached out to all my uh, corporate clients and say, hey guys, you know, we can still deliver this online. We can still do this. I can still create virtual classrooms. 
And reluctantly, they said yes. But now the feedback, feedback has been, cool, these are amazing. Our people needed these in these difficult times. And, you know, you've stepped up. And do you know what? I've won two or three new contracts in the lockdown period of, you know, fairly big contracts as a result of just changing and, and adapting and being fluid with the changing world. That's what it is for me. And that's what it can do for anyone. I'm not special. It just means all I've done is changed. I've changed with the environment. I've sensed what's going on and I've just worked with it. Why do you think that people have struggled so much to see this concept? Uh, I think, I think, Laura, it, it's simply that, you know, sometimes we just get comfortable with what's, what's in our growth zone. We get comfortable in this environment. And even if we don't enjoy it, we say, well, hey, it's better than the, better than the devil you know. You yeah. know, it's, there's a bit of that. And I think part of it is that uh, we're very frightened of change. You know, we, we create mind habits, you know, our neural pathways, the, the way our, the, our neurons in our brain linked up, they have been created as a result of habitual thinking that we've done. You know, these mind habits that we've created. So we've got used to thinking in that way. There are different parts of our brain um, that decide how we're going to respond uh, to external stimuli. So some of us get stuck in that emotional response. It's in the limbic part of our brain. The limbic part of our brain is like one of the most oldest parts of our brain. It's one of the fastest. Everything that we sense goes straight to the limbic part of our brain. The limbic part of our brain is also the emotional part of our brain. Uh, and sometimes if we just get overwhelmed with something, we get emotionally involved and make emotional decisions. Sometimes, more often than not, we end up regretting those. Uh, and the reason why we regret those is because we haven't thought them through. We are literally responding with emotions. And there's a great book on this called The Chimp Paradox. It talks about the limbic brain as being a chimpanzee, uncontrollable chimpanzee. Well, I believe it is controllable, and there are ways of controlling your chimp, your limbic brain. Within the limbic brain, there are two tiny little parts called the amygdala, and the literal translation of the amygdala is almond. Well, they're your fear responses, and if everything goes to your amygdala, and your amygdala has decided already, hey, that's scary, then it's going to activate all those different parts of your brain that respond to fear. So you're going to go into fight, flight, or freeze, right? And the amygdala is only responding that way because we've pre-programmed it through our mind habits. And that's a parietal aspect of your brain where we, 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 we ask ourselves, it's like a computer hard drive in your brain. Uh, it'll see a situation and say, well, hey, last time we responded in this way, so unless somebody, somebody tells me different, I'm going to respond in the same way. So we pre-program ourselves in that, this way. The most important, the most powerful part of the brain as far as I'm concerned is the, the prefrontal cortex, which is you know, this part of your brain here. And that's the part of the brain that is slower than the other parts of the brain, but you can warm it up. I warm it up by doing one or two things. You know, there's the age-old philosophy of taking a breath and counting to 10. Well, that works to some degree because A, taking a breath is slowing it down. Counting one to 10 is a logical approach. And this is all about logic. It's all about rationality. It's all about logic. It's all about empathy. It's about all about consequential thinking. Uh, some real powerful emotional regulation sits sits within the prefrontal cortex. There's so much power within in that in that uh, part of the brain. But the way I warm it up is by asking myself strategic questions. So, for example, um, you know, if if somebody cuts me up on the road, 
few years ago, I'd have been shouting and jumping just like anybody else. A sheep ass. Uh, <laughs> I might have pretended I got a laser attached to my steering wheel and zapped them out of existence. <laughs> <laughs> bit like Star Wars, you know. But now what I do, and try it, Baz, if you if you are in that kind of mindset, try this. Just ask yourself, hmm, I wonder where they're going. I wonder why they're so they're driving so fast. I wonder if he's got an emergency. I wonder if he's late for a very important meeting. The moment you start asking yourself questions, yeah. your mind almost feels it has to respond to those questions. Yeah. And therefore you suddenly shift it. So in answer to your question, Laura, why do some people not, not do, uh, you know, uh, embrace change? Uh, it's because I think they get so used to these, what this way of being, their mind habits have become so strong that they literally feel imprisoned and they don't, and anything that looks out of the ordinary for them is scary. Yeah. But, you know, I want to reassure people, I have stepped outside of my comfort zone so much. Can imagine. Never anywhere near as scary as you give it credit for, because the moment you step into it, the moment you're in this new environment, you think, hey, this is actually quite good. It's nowhere near as bad as I thought it was going to be. And that's the only way that you're going to grow. Because one of my questions was, have you ever been in a situation, whether it's been your policing career or afterwards or wherever, where you've been faced with a situation where you know you've got to step up, you know you've got to be that leader under maybe the four banners, but you've questioned yourself and you've maybe doubted yourself. Have you got an example of that and how you overcame that, what your internal dialogue was to do that? That's a really good question because, you know what, I have... And I still am to some degree. I am like the world's worst self-doubter. Really? Like a mind habit that I really struggle with. And I have broken a lot of habits, but this mind habit I still struggle with. Yeah. Where something new will come along and I'll think, well, can I, oh, I'm not sure. Do you know what? Will, will I be able to do it? Will I be able to rise to the challenge? I do this all the time. I've done it throughout my entire life. I think it has something to do with... Uh, you know, being told when I was younger, I'm not as clever as my brothers. You know, my brothers all went off and got degrees. And when I joined the police service with just four O-levels, uh, later on, 10 years later, I went to just to prove to myself that I, I was clever. I went to university for six years. I did night classes at university just to get a law degree, just to prove to myself that I could do it. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it's got a lot, large part to do with that. And also within the police service, there was a few people who I came into contact with who just reinforced this, this notion that I wasn't good enough. And I've just believed it ever since. But I've done some incredible things. You know, I have done some incredible things, both in the police service, outside the police service. You know, every time I have gone for a promotion board, I've told myself I can't get it. And I've had to force myself to say, no, I can, I can, I can. I've come top in my promotion boards. I've taken on, you know, difficult positions of uh, leading three or 400 people in a failing department and being told, this is a failing department, you need to do something about it. Uh, you know, I remember once when I was a detective chief inspector just getting promoted, I'd never been a detective since I'd been a detective constable. So suddenly being out of uniform, being promoted into detective chief inspector and being told that I was now deputy director of intelligence. All of these areas I knew nothing oh. about. And to be told by the chief constable, we've just had an inspection and we failed on, on so many big areas. You've got six months to turn it all around because they're coming back in. I was like, well, where do I start? 
Yeah. How to run a covert operations policy, create a covert operations unit, create surveillance units. I knew nothing about any of that. But if you say to yourself, I'm just going to have a go. I'm going to have a go. I'm going to make sure I can speak to people. I'll recognize that I don't, you know, became, this became a bit of a catchphrase for me. I say all the time, I don't hold a monopoly on good ideas uh, and other people do. So if the more people I ask, that's democratic leadership. The more people I ask, the more ideas I get. And that's what I did. And I turned it around in six months. And, you know, even in my business now, I've done some incredible things. I've spoken on huge platforms. I've traveled, you know, to other countries. And I just would not have dreamt that I could ever do anything like the stuff that I've done. I'd never dream that a university would approach me and say, can you design a leadership program for us? When they got, they must have hundreds of people in that university who design programs all the time. So why are they asking me? Well, they see something in me. And that same university then goes on to give me more contracts. And now a bigger university has come and approached me. And now later on this week, I'm speaking to a whole host of universities because they've invited me for the first time ever uh, to that platform. They never invite external speakers, but they invited me to talk about a program I've designed for one university. I never thought this one, this kind of stuff would happen. I got invited this September to go to Delhi to speak to the Inter the Commonwealth Association of Universities. So all the uni universities from all the Commonwealth countries were going to go to Delhi, and I was the keynote speaker. I'd never dream of this kind of stuff. I mean, unfortunately, that's been postponed till next year now. But yeah. I never dreamed that this kind of stuff would come my way. The way I've come over it, the way I've got, I've got over this mind habit, is I say yes to everything. I literally say yes. If somebody approaches me and say, can you do this? I'd say, yeah. Um, would, you, would you be interested? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I was talking to my niece the other day. And I said, you know, the one success factor that I've learned in life is say yes, worry about it afterwards. Yeah. Say yes in the moment and think about it afterwards. And if you're going to panic, that's the time to panic. I do this all the time. I panic all the time after I've said yes. And then I think, how am I going to do that? Have I got the time? Have I got this? Have I got the resources? Have I got the, the knowledge? And it always turns up. It always turns up. Call it law of attraction. Call it the universe. Call it just, you know, sheer dogmatic sort of desire to get things done. It gets done. Yeah. The Does it have to fit with your beliefs and your values and your, your, your ethos before you say yes? You, do you have some sort of... Um, tick boxes if it meets with these yeah. ticks, then i then i will definitely say yes if it doesn't yeah, then absolutely. i will say values for me baz are fundamental to everything that i do when i first came out of the police service and you know because you're in this bubble in the police service that's all you know you know the police service is it and we always see like anybody outside the police service as being like an alien uh, and suddenly i left the police service after 32 all my adult life you know since i was 16 and I came out and I was like blinking in these bright lights of the real world. And I saw all these people running around being all excited and uh, people running around and saying, you, you need to come to Tony Robbins. So I went to Tony Robbins and had a great three days there. And I met all these incredible people there. But they're all a bit hyper, you know. Everyone's really, really hyped. They're all saying the right thing. But then there was always like this, like, this over buzz, if you like. They're all about a bit like this. And a few of them, and I, I didn't know any difference. So, you know, I was keen to get my business off. I'd been thinking about this business for 10 years. And a few of them said, hey, you've got lots of knowledge and let's collaborate and let's do a JV. So I said, yeah, let's do it. And we agreed. 
to uh, to uh, there was one where we were going to have a website that was going to do online sales of coaching and all sorts of things. I was going to. I spent six months in a studio on one collaboration recording hypnotherapy recordings on pretty much any kind of condition you can think of. Six cold months in that studio because we were going to set up a website around that. That never happened because the other person never did what they said they were going to do. Mm. And I found that people were letting me down all the time. And I got so fed up that I actually dissolved the business. I dissolved the company. I got so fed up. I said, if this is real life, I don't want it. My wife said, is that it? I said, what do you mean? She says, is that it? Is that your passion? Is that how much passion you've got? And oh, you're telling people oh, all the time that you've got passion. <laughs> and she, it was the best thing that she could have said to me because I thought to myself, no, I've got bundles of passion in me. I'm, I'm brimming with passion. I'm dis- desperate to do this. She said, well, that's what I thought. She said, so why give up just because other people are let you down? Why not do things how you want to do them? And I said, yeah, you know what? And that was a big decision for me because I decided that I was not going to travel abroad anymore. I wasn't going to travel all over the country unless I had decent contracts in those areas. I was going to do, I was going to go local again. So I focused in on my area, East Midlands. And um, I started networking East Mid- within the East Midlands. I don't do many networking events. I look for jobs within the East Midlands, you know, uh, contracts. And you know what? My business exploded. And I'm still working largely in the East Midlands because I believe that there's enough going on in your area for you to be successful. There's a lady that I coached. Uh, she was a brand new coach last January, not to January 2019. Brand new coach. She had a job. She wants to give a job up. And she'd been getting in with all these like Tony Robbins kind of hyper kind of people who weren't actually doing anything. And they were saying to her, yeah, take over the world, do this, do that. And she approached me. I said, hang on a minute. Don't take over the world. You don't really need to take over the world. What do you want? Do you want a business where you're impacting on people? She says, yeah. I said, focus in on your town. Don't go anywhere other than, I said, make it such a strict thing of yours that you will only focus in on your town. I'll tell you for why. I would far rather be the big fish in a small pond, like the go-to person in a small pond, than being a minuscule little fish in this ocean of sharks because that's what you're going to end up being and all of these people who are really hyper telling you to do this and the other ask yourself how successful their businesses are this girl now has blown her business away she joined some like enterprise hubs in the university local university she got into a load of companies where she's offering coaching she goes in like once or twice a week and coaches all their staff she's got these kind of contracts with so many and in these enterprise hubs, she said uh, there were companies there, people there who'd been running companies for two or three years. And she said, when I walked in after about eight months of doing my business and I told them I was drawing a wage from my business, they were blown away. I said, well, what you've done is because you've just stuck in your local area and you've not tried to grow too quick. You've just focused in on one area, yeah. life coaching, life coaching for staffing companies. That's what you did. And now she's niched into that and she's doing very well. Amazing. Yeah, that's so That's what happens when you do that kind of stuff, you know? Yeah, when you don't try to do too much, you just focus purely on one thing. Do you know what I mean? And I think part, part of the problem we have as well is that we try to focus on too much and not just kind of laser focusing on the thing that we want. 
you know. Lazy shop focus is another popular sort of phrase of mine. I say it all the time, you know, too many people want to do too much in too little a time. So what you end up doing, you end up running from one plate to another plate to another plate to another yeah. plate, spinning all these blooming plates, and no one plate is spinning properly. Yeah. Next time you see a plate spinner, look at every single plate. No one plate spins properly. Yet if they focus in on just one plate, they'd have that plate spinning perfectly. So for me, Lazy Shop Focus is about just do one thing at a time. Maybe say to yourself, for the next 45 minutes, I'm just focusing in on this one thing. Nothing else is going to distract me. This one thing. And you'll find that that 45 minutes, you will do that thing that would ordinarily take you maybe three or four hours. You'll do it and smash it in 45 minutes, but also the quality will be outstanding. That's what happens. And your, your, your brain, your mind will be so much more relaxed because you feel that you really achieved something and then you move on to the next task. That's how you should be doing your th things to do list and that's how you should be operating throughout your entire life. I work during lockdown. I have, um, I have really changed my whole way of being. Now I get up like seven o'clock, eight o'clock. Uh, well, seven o'clock more, more often than not. Uh, we have two kittens downstairs. Um, our kittens are now nine months old. You know, they're, they're a blessing to us. You know, we've adopted them from when they were eight weeks old. And I take them for a walk. I take my kittens for a walk. Love it. <laughs> Elvis and Coco, they're asleep downstairs now because they they have they're so organized. They have their sleep times. They, you know, still treat them like babies. But we take them for a walk. I take them for a walk, and then um, then we make and then I always make uh, Taj and my wife a cup of tea in bed, uh, and the kittens will play with her then. And I go to the gym. I've created a home gym. You'll be pleased to know, guys. Love I've it. Home I've seen gym it. in my garage. Yeah, have you seen it? Yeah. I'm so pleased with it. I was like grossly overweight. I felt, you know, I, I just didn't feel right. Now I'm feeling really tight and I feel really <laughs> good. I bought myself a punch bag last week. That's gone up and I've managed three minutes on the punch bag nonstop now. So I'm, I feel, I really feel like I'm moving forward and on my business, I'm only working maybe four hours a day. Yeah. Wow. For, for those four hours, I'm solidly focused, solidly yeah. focused. This week, I've got incredible things going on. Um, I'm going to a TV studio um, in a couple of days' time because uh, somebody reached out to audition for a part uh, in a very, very popular TV program. I can't say too much, so I'm going to go there. I didn't reach out to, me, to them. They reached out to me on Thursday. I'm speaking to the top 50 leaders of a big university about race and diversity and what that means to them as, a, as an organization. Straight after that, I'm uh, talking to a group of universities at a network to talk about a program I've created for one university to see if they want to take on that same program. Uh, and then followed straight away. And these are literally like 15 minute gaps between each, each yeah. talk that I'm doing. And then I'm doing a keynote speech uh, straight after that for another organization. And then I think on for, that's Thursday, Friday, uh, I am uh, speaking to uh, 100 to 200 people, members of staff at a different university, talking about race and diversity. We're holding an online conference. So, you know, I'm keeping myself very, very yeah, busy. Yeah. yeah. And I'm not allowing it to take over my life. And the more, I know it seems so counterintuitive, the more you do that, the more you will grow because yeah. you have to keep everything in balance. Yeah. I love that. That's phenomenal. And I think that is 
just the perfect way to, to round this up. And just, you are a living example of, even though you might doubt yourself, you've stepped up, you've used the emotional intelligence, you've challenged the mind habits, and you've stepped into a leadership role so that you can basically create the life that you want, but also from a serving perspective on giving back to people. 100%. 100%. You know, if there were three or four things I'd like to say, is number one, hold on to your values. Really understand what you stand for because your values that you hold in life, and sometimes they're subconscious, they're unconscious values because we haven't done the inner work. Really understand them, bring them to life because your values are what guide you through the decisions and the choices that you make in life. And you might wonder, why do I always make these choices? It's because some deep hidden value that you hold. So understand your values. When you understand your values, only ever work with like-valued people, not like-minded. There's a difference. Like-minded people understand the same area of interest that you share, but that doesn't mean that they have the same level of value as you do. So that's that's the first thing. Number two, it's okay to self-doubt. It is completely okay to self-doubt. It's what you do about that self-doubt that matters. I'm the biggest self-doubter, and I will continue to say this, I doubt myself at every opportunity. You know, when I got this call to go into audition for this part, even though they contacted me, and I've got to go for a screen test, whatever that means. I'm thinking, there was a, my first thought was, why me? Why me? Am I good enough to do this? Uh, and, you know, my wife, again, she's, she's wiser than I am. She definitely is. She says, just be you then. What have you got to lose? It's not really core to your business, but it would be amazing if it happened. Just be you. That's, you know what? Absolutely. I'm just going to be me. Uh, and so that's the next thing. The third thing is, be adaptable, be fluid, be flexible. You know, the best gymnasts, the, the best sports people I can think of are gymnasts. And that is because I think gymnasts are so flexible. You know, they're flexible in their joints. They can do things that other sports people cannot do. They can run like other sports people. They can jump like other sports people, but they can do things that other sports people cannot do. They're still strong like other sports people. And there are things that they can do that other sports people cannot do. So be flexible. Uh, and finally, uh, I would say, that daydreaming is not something that is designed to waste away the day. Daydreaming is an art. You have to master that art. And when you daydream, then all you need to do is take action that is in alignment with your dream and your aspiration. Only then will the universe actually listen to you and say, hey, I get this person now. So they're thinking this one thing, and now the actions also suggest the same thing. So, hey, I'm going to help that person. Don't get stuck into this whole concept of the law of attraction being about. You can sit in bed and say, hey, I'm going to dream I'm a millionaire. I'm going to dream of this. I'm going to dream of that. And expect nothing to uh, expect it all to come to anything and happen, guys. The universe is listening to you, but it will only listen to you in, with clarity when your actions match your thoughts. Uh, and those are the those, those are the things that I would want to say really absolutely Fant- I mean thank you Cole I, I mean those tips at the end were amazing everything that you said I, I've taken so many notes for my own personal development to be perfectly honest with you um, but it's just been so enlightening and really just something that you know is going to help so many people just listening to this I hope so um, absolutely, so. without a shadow of a doubt. And um, cool. If people want to work with you, they want to find out more about you. We haven't even spoken about your book. You know, <laughs> where can they? Where can they do that? Please let us know. 
Okay, so I mean, for me, these interviews are never about uh, pitching any sales or anything like that. I don't do that. Um, and I don't work one-on-one -on -one with people much nowadays. I only work with corporate clients. So I want to give some freebies out to you. Uh, well, I, I want to mention my book because, you know, that is a powerful book and I know it's changed a lot of lives. So my book is called Smash the Habit. Uh, that's smash the habit because that's what we need to do. Uh, it's available in audio, Kindle and print version on Amazon. Um, if you get the audio version, you get this really sexy dude talking. <laughs> you do it yourself. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> now, that was another few months in a cold, freezing cold <laughs> In, during winter, it was this big warehouse that they had as a store recording studio. I had to wear three coats on one day. <laughs> it's that cold. But yeah, that's a really good book. But I talk about my journey of how, you know, 17 years ago, I think it was now, uh, I gave up uh, drinking, smoking, eating meat, fish, eggs, all overnight. Having struggled to do this uh, for so long uh, before that, you know, I was smoking 25 bags a day. I was drinking at least four pints a day and I was a whiskey connoisseur. I was eating so much junk and rubbish. I gave it all up on one night, never turned back, never touched it again, uh, any one of those things ever again. And then um, six years ago, I gave up tea, coffee, fruit juices, unless they're freshly squeezed, fizzy drinks, fizzy pop. I gave all of that up overnight. I've never touched it again. And then four years ago, I gave up milk overnight and uh, I've never touched that again. I just drink almond milk now and uh, I feel <laughs> the best that I've ever felt. And, and for me, it just proved to me that you can do these things. It is absolutely possible. And the freebie that I'd like to offer everyone is um, if you go on to Google Play Store or Apple Play Store, I have an app. It's called Ignite Your Inner Potential. That is my company name that's our brand ignite your inner potential and if you download the app you'll find that uh, in the app we have a social media stream which is just like facebook but it's just much more positive loving there is no, i do not allow any negativity on there whatsoever even a smell of negativity is 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 out but within the app there's a load of resources in there i think there's 30 odd um, free video uh, training courses that you can watch uh, on all sorts of subjects uh, from public speaking to building confidence to anxiety and there are 70 odd hypnosis um, programs those same that I recorded all those years ago to sell I'm giving them away for free uh, and they have changed a lot of lives uh, over lockdown a lot of, a lot of people have been listening to those uh, so yeah feel free to use those and wow. listen to them I'll, 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 do, I'll, stick, I'll stick the link in the show notes below um, the podcast and the live and on YouTube as well. I'll stick it all in the show notes. So if you want to get hold of that, just click down below and you'll, you'll find them there. Excellent. And finally, you know, we have our annual event called Ignite Your Inner Potential, which uh, is the fastest growing, one of the fastest growing personal development events in the UK. It's lots of fun. We pack it with lots of depth. I go into emotional intelligence a lot deeper. I take you into a workbook that actually helps you on the journey of transforming your life. It has touched so many lives and transformed some. We have some incredible stories, literally some incredible stories about how people have changed their lives. Uh, it is priced very, very cheap. You know, we feed you, we look after you, we love you. My crew is beautiful. Um, it is in Derby every single year. It was on the 12th of January this year. We don't know what next year looks like, but I'm still hoping that we probably won't do it in January because that's going to be the peak of the whole COVID-19, I'm guessing. 
Um, so we're probably going to look at springtime next year. Please do look out for that because you will love this event. And well, we need to go up to yeah. We haven't been up to Derby Cal before, so. I'm going to love it. Seriously, it just gets bigger and bigger every single year. And for next year, we were actually talking about, because we had 350 people there this year, we're looking at 450, but our, we're going to have to move venues. So we're looking at a, a, a velodrome uh, in Derby, uh, which is a huge venue. So I'm so excited that it'll be there. Amazing. And a huge stage, huge venue. We're going to do some amazing stuff. I'm going to create stuff that's brand new. And all the speakers that we have on that on, on the platform are all the people that have ever been on my course for public speaker training. And uh, I think it's, it's, you know, talking about values, I'm always on, one of my values is to keep giving back, keep giving back. So I give back uh, by putting them on a stage. I take professional videos of them, professional photos of them, so they can use them going forward and also to give them the opportunity of speaking in front of hundreds of people. So it's a big risk for my own reputation, my own brand, but I believe in everything that we do to the extent that I'm brave enough to put these people on the platform. So you, you'll hear some real, real stories from real people and real uh, strategies, not any of this hype. There's, the only hype that you're going to get is the banger. And that's because we just want to have fun. <laughs> I love it. That is so awesome. Um, cool. Thank you so much. We've had people say, thank you, cool. Great listening. Best wishes. Somebody so. says that you have a very good wife. So, <laughs> and that isn't your wife that's commented either. <laughs> my, wife, my wife's at work. She's a teacher. She's having to go in for two or three hours this morning. Uh, but yeah, I'm blessed. Uh, she is, she's outstanding. She's an amazing human being and uh, she has so much faith in me that it's incredible. She has more faith in me than I have in myself. That's the truth of it. That's amazing. Behind every good man's a good wife. Though, there isn't you it? go. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes I've actually in front of me when it comes to making a decision around the house about you want to change this or you want to change that. She doesn't let me make that decision. She's in front of me then. <laughs> yeah. I know the feeling. <laughs> Cool. Thank you so much for joining us today. I really do appreciate it. Guys, thank you for um, watching and for listening. Um, I know that there's some absolute gems in here. And one of the things we will say is, you know, repetition is key. So go back through this, take notes, because I think that the second time you listen to it, you're just going to get so much more out of it as well. So guys, thank you so much for listening. And uh, we'll see you on the next one. Thanks for listening to this episode of the FitMind Project. Please support us on iTunes and Spotify by rating us and leaving us a review. It helps us so much. You can also watch these podcasts on YouTube or on our Rock Solid Facebook page at Rock Solid Health. This is what we're all about. We're about growing a community of like-minded people that want to change their lives, to feel better than they are at the moment. We help them find their version of health so they can be healthier and happier. And remember guys, you're awesome.